Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the, in the Pacific Northwest. This is the 12th of June, 2020, and I'm glad to be able to continue my discussion of cancer and biomedicine, of course. And we have been discussing the PEDF and AMP kinase pathways as associated with lipogenesis. Um, primarily, I want to talk about how these two systems can be looked at as contrarian although some people have tried to suggest they are contradictory. And uh, what we're going to do is be able to use the uh, logical square of opposition to show that the data fits together and that these are not indeed uh, related to any kind of paradox in biomedical procedures, including pharmacotherapy of cancers like pancreatic and uh, even hepatocellular carcinoma. So let's get on with the uh, discussion itself. Remember last time on my video lecture, we're talking about cancer immunoediting. And basically what that means is that during the progression of disease, you go through three phases, an elimination phase, equilibrium, and then an escape, escape being full-blown uh, metastatic cancer. So at the elimination phase, you have something called, primarily it's, it's an initial immunoediting as discussed in a paper published in Frontiers in Immunology back in January of 2018, which I referenced in the video presentation. So what happens here, you get sporadically arising transformed cells. They're destroyed by mostly the innate immune response, but uh, and also the adaptive immune response. So you have activated B cells there, which would produce tumor-reactive antibodies, and then they're going to er eradicate all the transformed cells. You're also going to get the natural killer cells, and, if, and some component of the uh, TH effector cells, which are going to release, uh, of course, pro-inflammatory cytokines like interferon gamma, and it's going to activate associated dendritic cells, and you're going to get also some secretion of IDO. Now, IDO is the enzyme. It's a dioxygenase, 2,3-dioxygenase which relates to the kinurene pathway from tryptophan. And remember I told you that that's a key component actually for full-blown escape phase metastatic cancer. But the early stages, quite the contrary happens because the activity of IDO1 actually depletes uh, tryptophan, which is the initial uh, substrate for the reaction. And because of that, you get a decrease in tumor growth because you get an inefficiency of protein synthesis because you're removing tryptophan. You're also removing what else tryptophan could be used for, which is the serotonin-melatonin pathway, which, as you know, does also have an, um, an immunomodulatory effect in tissue beds and even in um, progressing tumors. Now, at the equilibrium phase, tumor cells accumulate mutations, of course. And those mutations can be caused by various mechanisms and moments of alteration of DNA replication, recombination, and repair. We, we've talked about that. Like elsewhere, I'm not going to do it today. The important thing is the escape phase. Now, here, this endodioxygenase, this enzyme which basically functions to remove tryptophan and therefore um, uh, corrupts protein synthesis at the early phase. By the time you get to the escape phase, you get tumor survival, you get full-blown immunosuppression, and you get even indeed immune tolerance. And that's because it shuts off the macrophage type 1 and turns on macrophage type 2 
you get then a decrease in the amount of immunomodulation related to pro-inflammatory cytokine production. And we've talked about this also in the past. So high dioxygenase produced by the tumor cell now makes tolerogenic immune cells. Uh, that includes the dendritic cells and what are known as myeloid-derived suppressor cells and tumor-associated macrophages, or M2s, basically. Now, all that leads to immunosuppression and tolerogenicity because it inhibits effector T-cell and NK-cell function because it stimulates also regulatory T-cells. We talked about our regulatory T-cells that are going to be able to basically completely diminish the immune response so that the PDAC, that is, that is the pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, is going to be con uh, continue to proliferate and uh, metastasize. Even if it doesn't metastasize, the primary tumor in the pancreas is enough to um, decrease your lifespan substantially. And by the time you get to this escape phase, you're less than five years out from death, usually. Um, okay, so IDO1 promotes expansion and activation of these MDSC cells, right? And those are going to be, again, immunomodulatory, and it's going to induce a polarization of the macrophages to that tolerogenic phenotype. You're also going to get increased kinurine levels because of the IDO. That Remember, that's the indole dioxygenase. And that's going to activate what I told you before is called the AHR, which is also known as the aerial hydrocarbon receptor. And that switches the activity of dendritic cells from immunogenic to tolerogenic. Okay. So you also get elevated CGLA4 expression on regulatory T cells. That results in further decrease uh, in the immune response. It further increases IDO1 secretion by the dendritic cells as well. That induces an expansion and activation of the regulatory T cell population, the expansion of the tolerogenic dendritic cells, and the MDSC cells. Remember, those are uh, a key player here, right? It goes myeloid derived repressor cells, and the tumor associated macrophages are going to therefore uh, make the system immunotolerant. Uh, and ultimately, you're going to uh, decrease the immune response because you're going to escape the whole entire immune activity because you're suppressing the activity of any tumor effector cells. So that's where we were last time. Now, um, remember the gut paper I talked about, gut paper 2012, published in October of that year. Um, and you can look at that citation on my, on my review with the video. Remember we talked about PEDF, that again, pigment epithelial derived factor. It's a non-inhibitory serpent, which means it does not carry out serine protease inhibitor activity, but it has similar uh, structure that is at the amino acid level. It looks like a serpent, but it's not one. Then there, we therefore can suggest it as moonlighting activity, moonlighting potent anti-angiogenic activity and anti-adipogenic activity, okay? So those two traits are linked, of course, to pancreatic cancer and a progression because you start off with uh, pancreatic steatosis. So PEDF deficiency in mice, as we mentioned, promotes pancreatic hyperplasia, uh, and that and also is associated with visceral obesity and RAS mutations, which are common in that pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, or PDAC. So in that paper way back in 2012, the research team did experiments to look at the loss of PEDF and see if it was sufficient to promote adipogenesis and tumorigenesis in the pancreas. 
And essentially it did. And that was in a KRAS mutant mouse model background. Um, so the results demonstrated that the KRAS PDF deficient mice developed invasive PDAC associated with enhanced matrix metalloproteins, which of course is going to enhance what? Yes, metastasis. Uh, they also found peripancreatic fat and adipocyte hypertrophy within uh, the intrapancreatic adipocyte infiltration, also known as pancreatic steatosis. Uh, basically, that entire paradigm is established. So associated with the lipogenesis, the stroma of the pancreas of those deficient mice with higher levels of two lipid droplet-associated enzymes, those are known as PLINs. Remember, one was a tail interacting protein 47 or TIP 47, and the other one is just simply called perilipin 3. It's where the PLIN comes from. Adipose differentiation-related protein also up, uh, was upgraded to ADRP, and that's pre-periolipin-2. And also what looked interesting is the tag lipase was reduced. So PDAC patients present with decreased tissue and serum levels of PDF, increased stromal TIP47 expression, plus VEGF, the PEDF ratio, is increased. That work, they suggest that PADF may be associated with pancreatic steatosis. Indeed, we found that later. Now, we're getting this paper published in anti-cancer research in 2019. Again, we're looking at PDF. We're looking at retinoblastoma cells, whereas induced uh, in neuronal differentiation. PDF, remember, is a relatively normal-sized protein, 50 kilodaltons. It's encoded by the serpent F1 gene. Uh, but during evolution, the PEDF lost the protease inhibitory activity. It doesn't have that particular um, enzymatic activity anymore. Um, PEDF is mainly secreted as a soluble monomeric lipoprotein in the pancreas. Uh, and it's also found, of course, in adipose and in the liver. Cell surface receptors that interact with PDF include its own receptor, which was also known as ATGL or desnutrin. Um, and it, it, it associates and works through phospholipase A2Z, or zeta. It also will bind to F1 ATPase synthase and to yet one more receptor, the laminin um, receptor, which is also known as LRP6. PDF is anti-angiogenic, and that was first discovered in the eye and the retinoblastoma uh, system. And that was also found that PDF inhibited vessel formation uh, in the invading, cor uh, invading the cornea and in the vitreous body and in tumors. So PEDF selectively induced apoptosis of endothelial cells and vessels undergoing that remodeling. So that's why it inhibited the angiogenesis and probably also how anti-antipogenesis was functioning. Pancreatic cancer cell tissues were found in significantly reduced PDF scores. Remember that? And uh, those are compared to adjacent normal sections uh, right near the cancer tissue. And this is because of a complete loss of PDF expression. It's a transcriptional level. Pancreas-derived metastatic hepatic cancer that is coming newly formed from the pancreas is the primary uh, source of the cancer, demonstrates a fourfold decrease in PEDF1 compared to the primary tumor interesting, just the pancreas is acutely susceptible, perhaps the PEDF loss and or in the timing of PEDF, and that may be critical to the patho disease ontogeny. That's a complex thread because breast cancer 
uh, when you go through an epithelial or endothelial mesenchymal transition, which normally spells moving towards tumors, uh, basically being a metastatic promotional sequence, that's also linked to low PEDF. So there's a lot of things going on here, and some of which are starting to sound a little bit contrary. Okay, so I want you to remember that. Now, once again, PEDF will bind to its receptor, the PD, PEDFR, and that's associated with the phospholipase A2 domain. What that's going to do is shut down fibrosis and shut down adipogenesis. It's also going to um, activate the PPAR gamma, which is going to block NF-kappa-B, which is going to then have an effect on interleukin-8 activity, and ultimately those cells that are responding to PEDF are going to increase apoptotically and decrease inflammatory. PEDF also functions at this uh, ATPase. Uh, there it blocks the ATPase. And because of that, it's going to tank proliferation, okay, because you're not going to get more ATP synthesis at that membrane. And it's going to, of course, decrease the adenogenesis. PDF also binds to the LRP56, I told you, the liminin. That's associated with the frizzled receptor and wind signaling, uh, which is associated with a lot of proteins, including an inactive GSK3 beta and a beta catenin pathway. I, we talked about the wind catenin pathway. So you get beta catenin accumulation is going to be blocked then by the PEDF. And then that's going to alter uh, the cell so that you decrease autophagy and you decrease VEGF, both of which are anti-tumorigenic. Here, autophagy, remember, can enhance tumor um, stasis. Finally, uh, PDF binds to the direct laminin receptor, and that also causes an uh, increase in apoptosis and a decrease in uh, migratory cells, which are associated with metastasis. All right, now here's a paper published in the International Journal of Clinical Experimental Pathology, 2017, volume 10, page 10593 to 10602. Here we're talking about this epithelial mesenchymal transition, and we told you it's a pivotal event in the progression of metastatic cancer, of course. Analysis in this particular paper was performed on about 100 different tissue samples of patients with primary breast cancer and a set of 20 control samples of healthy women, respectively. Lentiviruses are used to stably express PEDF in the breast cancer cell line to determine if the EMT factors change upon invasion of avail availability and ability following uh, re-expression of the PEDF, which had been um, limiting. So PEDF and EMT factors, protein levels are all measured in this breast cancer cell line. It happens to be the SKBR3 breast cell, cancer cell line, very common one. And they did Western blots just to look at the protein level. So PEDF expression was positively correlated with lymph node positive tumor status and tumor size. Low expression level of bimentin and high expression levels of membranous E cadherin. So, PDF activation suppressed migration and invasion in SKBR3 luminal cells and led to morphological and molecular changes of epithelial mesenchymal transition, EMT. Now, continuing, loss of PDF promotes mesenchymal phenotype whereas PEDF effectively promotes 
epithelial phenotype. Okay, so loss promotes mesenchymal, whereas PEDF promotes epithelial. That's good. So that results in an inhibition of growth of endocrine-resistant SKBR3 breast cancer cells. This is all in vitro, of course, but from human tissue. Finally, when they did the Western blot examination, they looked at PEDF using siRNA expressing uh, against the PEDF. They showed a down-regulation of eukaryotic and an up-regulation of vimentin. This is all looking good. Conclusions were that they suggested the PEDF directly linked to the mechanisms that suppress metastasis of breast cancer because they regulate the EMT. Remember, that's the epithelial mesenchymal transition. And there, these people suggested in 2017 that this might contribute to uh, considering PEDF targeting therapy. Uh, in this case, talking about increasing it. Right? All right. Now, here's a paper published two years later in Cell Death and Disease. Okay, so cell death disease, 2019, October, uh, volume 10, page 742 and ongoing. So this was published about, well, what, nine months ago. Here we're talking about different cancers. We're talking about a paleocellular carcinoma. Now, you all know, because you are uh, avid and very loyal listeners to um, authentic biochemistry, that I've spent... 12 lectures on paracellular carcinoma, so I don't need to go through all of those. So let's just go right into what this paper is doing. HCC is, of course, one of the common malignant abdominal tumors. It's the third leading cause of uh, cancer death. Now, PEDF, as we said, and they're going to repeat, is a serpent superfamily gene expressed in many organs, but we already told you it's expressed primarily when, in terms of the cancers we're talking about, pancreas, liver, and in adipose. Hmm, interesting. PEDF is an angiogenesis inhibitor, and PEDF expression is significantly down-regulated during most cancer progression. So that means that if you want higher levels, that might be a good thing. It's just what we saw in the last paper of the breast cancer so on, right? So, and we even saw that in those early pancreatic studies. So PEDF can prevent angiogenesis tumors by either causing vascular endothelial cell death or by inhibiting all those proangiogenic signals like the VEGF pathway. So intravenous injection, so direct injection of PEDF expressing human mesenchymal stem cells, these are HMSCs, on orthotopic nude mouse models of HCC. So this is a mouse model paper. Cause a dramatic inhibition of primary tumor when applying exogenous PEDF on vascular endothelial cells. Okay. Also looking at an HCC system directly. However, serum PEDF levels were higher. Now we're looking at a human study, same paper, in HCC patients than in the non-patients. So is that good comparing those two? In a way, maybe, maybe not. Now, PEDF expression was higher in human HCC tissues, even more so than adjacent non-tumor tissues. So here we're seeing that PEDF is right there in the tumor. We were talking about a paleocellular carcinoma. So indeed, PEDF and HCC exerts anti-apatotic effects in tumor cells, and it does promote what it looks like tumor metastasis. So cancer cells reprogram their metabolic pathways. We know this. 
and they usually support their enhanced demands for proliferation and survival because of the, remember the glycolytic, aerobic glycolytic pathway, that's called the Warburg effect. That's where cancer cells use glycolysis in the presence of normal oxygen, so we call it aerobic glycolysis. The only reason we call it that is because glycolysis does not require oxygen, and because when you normally have oxygen, you have the ability to utilize fatty acids because they do require oxygen for um, degradation to acetyl-CoA. So that is beta-oxidation pathway. So it seems bioenergetically contrarian to be pushing glycolysis right now. This paper is trying to address this indirectly. Now, besides lipid metabolism being altered in rapidly proliferating cancer, where de novo lipogenesis pathways and high expression of monoacylglycerol lipase are observed. So what happens in these cancer cells, you're not getting beta oxidation, you're getting fatty acid synthesis, okay? Which is really strange. You're also getting monoacylglycerol lipase uh, activated at the transcriptional level. And that protein is actually active at the, at the enzymatic level. So that means you're getting a lot of lipolysis and fatty acid synthesis. And result, a lot of fatty acid accumulation in the tumor cell, yet not being used for beta oxidation. How interesting. Okay. So that jacks up intracellular free fatty acids in tumors, and it supports the malignancy of the cancer cells because ultimately, if there is a turning on of beta oxidation, it's going to be a whole lot more energy available. But it also generates a lot of signaling phospholipids. And herein lies an interesting case. So it's been shown that PEDF actually promotes hepatic free fatty acids, primarily by promoting a, the expression of a gene that's normally not in that liver, and that is the ATGL, or the adipose TG lipase. Okay? So it seems like there's a pseudo-paradox here, and it's res revealed as a simple... Uh, uh, basically recovery from that paradox because both universal affirmative and universal negative, when you're talking about the, the square of opposition, can both be wrong, of course. And what I mean by universal affirmative, all S is P. So you can convert that into all PEDF increases good versus the universal negative, no increase in PEDF is good. And it seems to be right now we're in that paradox. And I told you, when you have universal affirmatives and universal negatives in the square of opposition and logic and categorical logic, they can both be wrong, right? And then you have to look at the subalterns, right? That's what I'm saying. Now, accumulation of free fatty acid did promote hepatocellular carcinoma cell growth because, it, and, and, and it does so because it inhibits the activation of the AMP kinase. kinase. And that's because there's a ubiquitin proteasomal mediated degradation of AMP kinase. That, because AMP kinase works on transcriptional regulation, causes an increase in noble fatty acid synthesis, yet a decrease in fatty acid oxidation. Now, that's at the transcriptional level. And it's also because what happens to metabolism subsequent to that, which I'm almost going to get to now, very soon. So you can ask the question, how does all this work? Well, you have a lipid biochemist going to explain it to you. Likely, it's the transcription of acetyl-CoA carboxylase because of the inhibition of the beta-oxidation genes and because of CPT1 being either reduced in transcription or be, by being controlled, perhaps, 
because of the enhancement of fatty acid synthesis, because long-chain fatty acyl-CoAs will inhibit CPT1. CPT1 members carnitine palmitotransferase 1. That is the protein that translocates uh, after transferring to carnitine rather than coenzyme A. Cytosolic fatty acids could make it into the intermitochondrial membrane matrix for beta oxidation. So what basically is going on here is you get an uncoupling of the malonucleotide decarboxylase system, which we talked about just last time, and that when that happens, uh, when you when you uncouple MCD, that tends to de-inhibit CPT1. Okay, so what's going on here? Why don't you have that functioning? Well, it's because the malCoA, even though you would think that if you had a deficiency in MCD, that would build up. Mal-CoA and therefore block CPT1, the Mal-CoA isn't going to de-inhibit CPT1 on its own. Why? Because Mal-CoA is going to be used for genetic fatty acid synthesis, which should erstwhile be blocked. So here's a system completely put together for you, okay? And so I want you to understand uh, how I understand it, and hopefully you'll see the same thing I do, right? All right, now, extracellularly, PEDF inhibits adipogenesis and angiogenesis. That would be the universal affirmative. All PEDF is good. You see how that works, right? All right, continuing. Intracellularly, PEDF results in rampant glycolysis. Since fatty acids can't be used for ATP synthesis, that would suggest no PEDF is good, okay? right? Because of what I just told you what PDF do, is doing in terms of lipid metabolism. Therefore, universal and affirmative, universal affirmative and universal negative can both be wrong and they are contrary but not contradictory. You can have contraries, no problem, because it doesn't violate the middle term rule in categorical logic. So that, of course, would support the subalterns in the square proposition. Some PEDF is good. Some PEDF is not good. And of course, it depends not so much on timing, which Aristotle would have suggested, but he wouldn't have known about subcellular location or cellular location itself, Frank, because cellular location will not simply be described by pharmacodynamics or pharmacokinetics. So pharmacodynamics is how the, the PEDF, for example, functions, right? At the transcriptional or post-transcriptional or post-translational level, Right. And it also is not going to be uh, explained by kinetics. That is how the PEDF is metabolized. So intracellularly, what's going on here, acetyl-CoA, mal-CoA increases in fatty acid synthesis, but you're also getting mal-CoA to acetyl-CoA decrease. So it's a lot of mal-CoA going directly into fatty acids. The result is lower beta oxidation of fatty acids, yeah, yet tumor accumulation of free fatty acids. So starvation, which is what's going on in the tumor cell, lowers the concentration of MAL-CoA by activating an AMP kinase-activated protein kinase, which normally would have phosphorylate inhibit acetyl-CoA carboxylase. But AMP kinase, as I said a few minutes ago, is destroyed, right? It's destroyed in hepatocellular carcinoma, okay? So you don't have the activity of the AMP kinase, no transcriptional control. So, and AMP kinase normally directly phosphorylates and inhibits acetyl oxidase as well. So you got two things going on with AMP kinase. So, PEDF deficient mice had higher levels of two lipid droplet associated proteins. We talked about this last time in the video. Tail interacting protein 47, which is periolipin, uh, periolipin 3, 
And also there's two other uh, adipose differentiation related proteins, ADRP and periolipin 2. But also you had tag lipase reduced. Now PED elevation would lower the tag oil body membrane integrity because those proteins would go down, but it would increase the lipase activity. Normally that would be good, but also you get AMP kinase degradation. All that means you get a decrease in fatty oxidation and fatty acid oxidation, an increase in fatty acid synthesis. The result is the accumulation of free fatty acids, which cannot be metabolized and that becomes toxic to the cell. That's what goes on here. This is how you can have what looks to be an anomaly uh, some authors even suggested a contradiction, and we know in nothing of the sort. There's no contradiction. All they are is contrarians, and all we need to really accept the fact is that the subalterns work, uh, but that you do not have any universals. And this is your take-home message for today. Universals in biology, I, would, I think I can say almost without refutation, are never standing. Thank you very much for your time. Dr. Dan Guerra saying bye for now.